Well, if you've got your Bibles with you tonight, <clears throat> go ahead and open up to Daniel chapter 9. You'll remember last time we were together, I teased you all. We went all the way to the brink and stopped. <clears throat> the good news is, I guarantee we're going to finish the um, last uh, four verses. So, if you join me, uh, verse 23, it says, Now, at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So, Daniel was praying. He wants to understand this vision that he's had, and he wants to understand God's plan. Lord, what's coming? What's going to happen? How do all the pieces come together? And God, it's interesting. God gives to Daniel this incredible book of prophecies. We see, you know, Daniel's history in chapter 1 through 6, and Daniel's prophecies from 7 through 12. But as we look at that, I don't want you to miss the point that Daniel was called greatly beloved of God. And he's given this incredible revelation. There is this other fellow, John, called the disciple whom Jesus loved, greatly beloved of God. And he, too, was given an incredible revelation, the book of Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And so we see in these two characters, God desires to lay out for, for us his plan. He's, he's not trying to hide or, or, or be sneaky about anything hey if we love the lord we seek the lord we hunger after him he's going to reveal himself to us he's going to reveal to us his truth and here daniel's praying and gabriel right then before daniel finishes his prayer he's not even done with his prayer yet and there is gabriel with the answer there is gabriel to guide him and so he lays out for us in verse 24 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. So let's clarify. 70 weeks. 77s, literally. 77 year periods of time. We talked a little bit about it before on a Sunday morning. The concept we get for it out of the book of Genesis is a, is a word hepstead. In Genesis, <clears throat> the word hepstead is used. You remember when Jacob worked seven years for Rachel? And then he got tricked. He ended up with Leah. And the Bible says that the, his, his uncle, uncle Laban, he said, well, I'll give you Rachel too if you work another seven years for her. <clears throat> the Bible tells us that Jacob fulfilled her week, her hepstead, her seven-year period of time. Seventy weeks, 70 sevens, 490 years of prophetic history are determined for who? For Daniel's people and for his holy city. <clears throat> for the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and the city of Jerusalem. This 70-week prophecy concerns specifically those people. So as we look, we're going to see. We need to have that mindset as we take a look at what the scriptures are laying out for us. <clears throat> beginning in verse 24. So, 70 weeks are determined. Hepstead, 77 year periods of time, 490 years. And then he gives us a synopsis. These are all the things that will be accomplished when the 70 weeks of Daniel are completed. He gives us a list of six things. Let's take a look. 
First, to finish the transgression. Second, to make an end of sins. Third, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Fourth, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Next, to seal up vision and prophecy. And that word to seal up means to complete. To complete or finish the prophecy. And sixth, to anoint the most holy. Now, that phrase most holy, a lot of folks want to look at that as the Mashiach. But in the language in Hebrew, it's pointing to a place. Not the most holy person or Jesus Christ, but the most holy place. The anointing again of the temple. The temple, we know when we read the book of Revelation and here as we study the book of Daniel. The temple is going to be desecrated again. The temple is going to be rebuilt again. Right now there's no temple. The temple will be rebuilt. If you go to to Israel today, you can tour the Temple Institute right now. All the implements are built. Everything is prepared. They even have the names of the only line of Levitical priests that they can point to. But they know where they are, who they are, and are willing to to prepare and have them ready to serve. Everything is in place for them to to be able to uh, go forward and build the temple. Just one small problem, right? This giant dome of the rock sitting there. We know that instantly, I'm telling you right now, instantly, if somebody went up there and tore down that, there would be war in the Middle East like none other. There would be war abounding. But you know what's interesting? When we read the book of Revelation, and it begins to talk about the temple, and we see the Lord laying out to Ezekiel, about measuring that temple, that temple that will come during the, the rule and, and reign leading up to Christ. He says not to measure the outer courts because the outer courts have been given to the Gentiles. He said, just measure the inner court. When you go and you visit the Temple Mount, and unfortunately I didn't put a picture of it up for you guys, the Dome of the Rock is on the southern side. North of the Dome of the Rock is what's called the Golden Gate. That's that gate in the walls of Jerusalem that's all bricked up. You see, a long time ago when the Turks took over the nation of Israel, they blocked in that gate because they know Messiah is going to enter into that gate. So they blocked it up so he can't come in. Not sure that's going to work, but okay. So they blocked up that gate. But if you go, the Bible tells us, actually Josephus tells us that the... The golden gate, that gate, was in line with the doors of the temple. Which means, literally, if you cut out the outer court, or the court of the Gentiles, if you cut that off, you could put the temple right next to the Dome of the Rock. Right now. It's empty. There's this little dome there. little tiny dome called the Dome of the Spirits. And if you have a Jewish guide, they will not walk you to it. Because the Jewish guides believe that that is the site of the Holy of Holies. So they won't walk you over there. They don't want to step in that most holy of places. So, <clears throat> But there's enough room to put the temple beside it. Well, why does any of that matter? 
Well, you know, when we studied the book of, of Revelation, you remember as we went through, we saw that the Antichrist in chapter 6 comes riding a white horse. He's like the pseudo-Christ, the one everybody looks to, and he's got this peace plan. This seven-year peace plan for the Middle East to make peace with all the people there. What better way to be able to do that than to give to the nation of Israel their temple and to appease the Muslim nations that they didn't have to tear down theirs? Why is that important? Because if you go to Israel today, this is how they say they will recognize their Messiah. He will build the temple. He'll build the temple. That's how we'll know who he is. Jesus told us, I came in my Father's name, you didn't receive me. Another will come in his own, him you will receive. The table is set right now for all of that to take place. But it all has its foundation right here. These, this prophecy given to Daniel that the Lord is going to accomplish all things. Everything is going to be brought right. Everything turned right around. These six areas are going to be fulfilled in the 70 weeks of Daniel, in this 490 prophetic years, God's going to accomplish everything. How is that possible? Well, let's take a look. Let's take a look and see what the Lord lays out for us. So beginning at verse 25, we're going to see the, the first 483 years right here. Beginning at verse 25, know therefore and understand, understand this, Daniel, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. If you slip over to that next slide, I got a little graphic <coughs> that describes it to us. Okay, we have first 69 weeks he lays out for us. Seven weeks plus 62 weeks equals... 69 weeks. No way around it. That's how it is. <clears throat> so he says, from the time to go and rebuild what? Jerusalem. From the announcement to go and rebuild, restore Jerusalem until the Messiah presents himself as king is going to be 69 weeks. 483 years. Be 483 years from that to the moment that Christ appears. Now, we can look into history and see when that decree came. If we go to the next slide, I got uh, the decrees laid out for us. Yeah, can we drop the front ones down? There, thanks. So we can see a little bit better. Okay, we have four decrees. Four decrees that were given. The first decree comes from Cyrus in about uh, 537, 538. Uh, we read about it in Ezra chapter 1 and Ezra chapter 5. Then we see uh, Darius in about 517. We read about that one in Ezra chapter 6. Then we see Artaxerxes in, as the third one in, in uh, about 4, I got about 458, yeah, 458. Um, we read about that in Ezra chapter 7. All three of those that you see the red line through all were decrees to go and rebuild the temple. And they were frustrated because they were trying to go and rebuild the temple, but they couldn't do it because every time they put something up, the enemies of Israel would come and knock it down. And so Nehemiah comes along. 
Nehemiah, the cupbearer for Artaxerxes. The people had permission in those decrees to build the temple, but no permission to build the city until Artaxerxes gave the decree. We read about it in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Artaxerxes gave that command on March 14th, 445 B.C. He gave the command, go and rebuild the city. Now you'll notice, as we look at the scripture, know therefore and understand from the going forth of the command to restore and build what? Jerusalem, not the temple. Jerusalem, only one decree. Until the Messiah, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, it's curious, isn't it, that it was divided that way? Why not just say there'll be 69 weeks? But he said there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So there's something that separates the first 49 years from the rest. What is it? It took 49 years for them to rebuild the streets and the wall. Just like what he lays out for us here. The street will be built again and the wall. That took 49 years. Once the streets and the walls were rebuilt, then they were finally able to begin, once again, work on the temple. So it took that first 49 years, seven weeks, for them to do that. And it says it it would accomplish it even in troublesome times. In the book of Nehemiah, do you know how Nehemiah had the people? He put them out around working on the walls in orders of their family. So that if there's anybody behind them, it it was their family. And they would set block with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. Building the walls, even in troublesome times. Just like Daniel said. This is long after Daniel's going to be gone away. That decree is going to be given. March 14th, 445 B.C. 49 years it took to build the wall and the streets of the city of Jerusalem. And then from that point, 62 weeks of years was going to be, or 434 years, that would take us to what? Messiah the King. The one time when the Messiah would present Himself as King. You remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 what the people wanted to do? They wanted to make Him King. They wanted to make Him King right then. What did Jesus say? Mine hour has not yet come. There was one time as Jesus was coming into the city that He allowed all the people to proclaim Him with the Messianic title, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, a title for the Messiah, one day that He let them do that. If we go to that next slide, I might have it up there. April 6th, 32 AD. April 6, 32 AD, Jesus allowed it. Literally in the Jewish calendar, the 10th of Nisan, the day in which the lamb was to be presented. For four days, the lamb would be tested and tried, and at the end of those four days, on the 14th of Nisan, he would be offered up as a sacrifice, that lamb, for the nation. The same time when all the lambs were being presented to the priests at the temple, Jesus walked in on that same day and cleansed the temple. The second cleansing. He cleansed the temple, came back in and presents himself to be examined. 
So we see that same thing. Jesus fulfilling for us that picture. Well, let's take a look. It's supposed to take place that way. Well, here are a couple of the things that we have to work out to understand. All ancient calendars up until, um, gosh, I want to say about seven, somewhere around 700, the calendars began to change. But up until that time, all calendars, including the Babylonian calendar, were set to 12 30-day months. Wouldn't that be a lot easier, by the way? Then I wouldn't have to figure out which ones have 30 and which ones have 31. But anyhow, anyhow, that was the way. Why was it set that way? How many degrees are there in a circle? 360 degrees. There were 360 days in a year. There's a lot of speculation about what occurred in time that got the calendars out of whack. We're not going to get too far into that. We could really run down a rabbit trail with that and, and, uh, and try to explain it. But the point is, all the calendars changed. Around the same time, they all changed and started to add other days because they found that all of a sudden their calculations weren't coming up quite as well. Now before we give folks too much grief, we ought to recognize that the ancient peoples knew how far it was from the earth to the sun. They had that all calculated. So they knew what they were doing when they were setting 360-day years. Something occurred to change all that. When the biblical calendar, we use 360-day year as a basis for the year. So when we plug that in to the calculations that have been given for the 69 weeks of years, you come up with 173,880 days. 180, or I'm sorry, 173,880 days. From March 14th, 445 B.C. lands exactly on April 6th, 32 A.D. On the money, the day Jesus presented himself as king of his people. Right down to the letter. Isn't that amazing? And if you look at the Gospel of Luke, I encourage you to turn with me to, to Luke chapter 19. I shared Luke 19 uh, a couple of weeks ago, but let's just take a look at it again just briefly. As Jesus is entering into the city, it says now in verse 37, Then as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, a whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, they called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as they drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. And he said, If you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace... But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side. And they will level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
Daniel gave them the day, and they didn't read it, study it. They didn't know. They weren't ready for the visitation. And so the Lord says, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Now, he said, it's hidden from you. Now you can't see. The opportunity is passed. It's over. You can't see. Here we go. This is the, 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 the very road that God always knew that they would take. Yet, didn't he give it to them? He gave them the answer. Now, you and I, we can see it today. Because you and I, we're a lot better at prophecy when it's history. <laughs> we're not so good at prophecy when it's prophecy. So keep in mind, as we study prophecy, and we're going to have varied opinions people have about different things. That's okay. Right? We keep the main thing the main thing, don't we? Jesus Christ is the only way. Put your faith and trust in Him, and we're all going to figure out who's right and who's wrong when we see Him face to face. That's okay. That's okay. But... The call for you and I as Bible students is to study and show yourself approved, a workman of God, rightly dividing the word of truth. Hey, don't take someone else's opinion for truth. The same Holy Spirit that works in them works in you. And God can reveal those same things to you. But we have to have a desire to be a student. So we see, now, we see in this first part, the, the 69 weeks are fold, right? Isn't it interesting that there's one week left? A one seven-year period of time? Any guess what we call that? Why is it that that didn't happen right in a row? What happened to stop it? Why did it go 69 weeks? Why didn't it just run 490 years in a row and everything would be done? Well, it's very simple because that wasn't part of God's plan. And I can show it to you. In a nutshell, if you'll turn with me back to Daniel chapter 9, we'll begin to unravel that mystery. Beginning in verse 26, we have the interval. The interval that is, is indicated in the Scriptures. Let's take a look. Now, after the 62 weeks, okay, so... That's first the seven weeks, that was 49 years, then 62 weeks. That takes us to 69 weeks. Messiah will be cut off. That word cut off is karat. It means executed. He will be executed. He will be executed, but what? Not for himself. The Messiah will be executed, but not for himself. Isaiah 53 says... It was for our sins and our iniquities, right? It was for our sin and our iniquity that Jesus Christ would pay that ultimate price. He would be cut off, but not for himself. And then look at this, important that you understand. The key to unlocking the mysteries of the book of Revelation are found in Daniel. Right here. And the people of the prince who is to come, the prince who is to come is the Antichrist. So the people of the Antichrist. So he's telling us something about the people of the Antichrist, the prince who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So the people of the Antichrist will destroy 
Jerusalem and the temple. This is why I said it's so easy for us to do prophecy as history. Because we can look back, can't we? 70 AD, Titus, Vespasian, he came against Jerusalem, just like Jesus said in Luke 19, right? They sent an embankment around the entire city. They choked that city off in one of the worst sieges known to history of Jerusalem. And they choked that city until they destroyed it. When they finally went in, there was no resistance in the city of Jerusalem. They almost had been starved out. The stories that Josephus tells are are gruesome about people eating the dead and eating bird's dung and trying all kind of things to try to survive. Ultimately, as the Romans come in, remember Jesus said what? They will not leave one stone upon another, right? You can go to the Teropian Valley today. Stand on the southern steps of the temple that Jesus, the steps that Jesus stood on, the same stone. You can stand on those southern steps, look into the Teropian Valley, and see every stone that at one time had been on the Temple Mount in a heap, still today. Every stone rolled off. The historian Josephus tells us that the reason that happened was they, someone caught the temple on fire. Now the temple was so filled with gold, it's incredible when we get a chance to study the temple as we go through the Old Testament. So filled with gold in the, in the sunrise, when the sun would hit the gold of the temple, man, it would just glisten brightly. Well, they, they say that a, a soldier fired a, an arrow, a, a burning arrow into the temple or knocked over a lamp in the temple. Whatever happened, it caught on fire. And all the gold melted down into all the cracks of all the stone. And for a Roman soldier, you get what you plunder. And if there's a pile of gold under this stone, how are you going to get to it? You can turn it over. So they knocked over every stone so that they could get to all the gold underneath. Now here's the point, folks. It says that the people of the prince who is to come would destroy the city that we know who destroyed the Roman Empire. So that means that the prince who is to come is in some way tied to the Roman Empire. Now, don't get so narrow-minded. Some people get so narrow-minded on it that they go, well, then he's got to be from the Roman Catholic Church or he's got to come from the Vatican or he's got to do this or that. But listen, the Roman Empire was big. And most of the rulers on the planet today Many of them have direct line to parts of the Roman Empire. Don't forget the Roman Empire broke into two, right? The statue had how many legs? Two legs, right? We have Western and Eastern, right? The church divided into two, the Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox. Just the same way Rome divided into two for the same reason. Became two, uh, two nations, if you will, or two empires. But the point is... That's from where the Antichrist is going to come. So when you hear people say the Antichrist is going to rise up out of a revived Roman Empire, and and someone says to you, well, why do they say that? Because in Daniel it said that the prince would come from where? From the people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary. And we know who that was. 
We know who that was. Like I said, when prophecy is history, it's easy. When we flip it the other way, well, it gets a little more sideways. If you have room for opinion then, that changes everything. But when we look back, we don't have to have opinion. We just see. We just look and see. Now look at this. And the end of it shall be with a flood. And the end of it shall be with a flood. That word flood literally is dispersion. What happened to the nation of Israel? 70 A.D., they ceased to exist. Where did people go? Everywhere. The end of it will be as with a flood. The people just went all over the place. To me, one of the greatest miracles we read in the Scriptures is the fact that the nation of Israel wasn't a nation for nigh on 2,000 years. I mean, that's incredible to me. You take those of us who grew up in the United States. You know, some of us know our nationality, but that's about it. I don't have any clue. I'm a mutt. I'm all mixed in with who knows what. You know, I go back far enough, you know, probably all of us have this story. There's a little Indian, there's a little cowboy. There's a little German, a little bit of English, and a little of this, and a little of that. And, and I don't go very far before I'm rubbing my head, because I, 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 I have not retained any of that nationality. Of, you know, the, the lineage through which I came. Yeah. But the reality is, check it out. The nation of Israel was never that way, was it? Never. They never fully integrated in any society that they were a part of. They kind of kept to themselves. They were hated in pretty much every country that they ever went to. Another fulfillment of Scripture. And we see over and over again that works. So what happened when the nation comes back in 1948? It wasn't very hard to find the Jews, was it? A lot of them were in concentration camps. The amazing thing to me, the, the hand of God you see so readily, you take all of these Jewish people from the United States and a variety of areas that came back to the nation of Israel, straight out of World War II, some of them straight out of concentration camps, and the day they were declared as a country, they were attacked. And they defended themselves and maintained their country. Or should I say, God has his hand on them and carries them through. And the Bible tells us, there's this uh, a unique verse, and I'm sorry I don't have the address for you, I have to look it up. But the Lord said, I will return to my place until you acknowledge me. And then I'll come back. It's pretty cool. So the Lord is waiting. And as we'll see when we take a look at that 70th week of Daniel, the nation of Israel once again is going to come to the point where they recognize who the Lord is. But here we see that in this last part of the, the, that first verse 26, until the end of the war desolations are determined. So, the nation of Israel, constantly a cup of trembling, isn't it? Constantly a stone of stumbling. The entire, name a president who made peace in the Middle East. Whatever. Has never been one. Folks, I've been going to Israel, I've been to Israel three times. And I've been to Israel at times of war and at times of peace. If you could ever really find time of peace. Every time I went, someone would tell me, 
Why are you going to Israel? That's the craziest thing ever. Those people are always fighting over there. So I don't know. I was never afraid. And I never saw any of that stuff. I just got to see really cool stuff that Jesus did when he was there. So I had a great time doing it. But it's always been that way. From the time I was a little kid, Israel always been in the news. The UN, ever since the UN has existed, you know how many UN resolutions there are against Israel? Daily. Constantly there's some resolution that they're not doing what the UN would like them to do. Ultimately, they're going to stand alone. The day is coming where they will stand alone and God will protect His people. We know that that's going to happen because the Word of God tells us it's going to happen. And I can look at these prophecies we're looking at like look back and say, wow, look how they all happened. Just like the Lord said they would. Then that's going to happen too. The, the, the spin or how it all works out, we may not all agree, but we all agree in one thing, that they're going to be alone and that God is going to deliver his people. That's what the Bible lays out for us. Well, remember we were talking about this interval. So all of a sudden, 69 stopped. It didn't move forward. So while you hold your finger here, let's look into why. Luke chapter 4, uh, beginning about verse 16, I'm thinking... So, he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words that had proceeded out of his mouth. And then they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? And he said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal thyself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. But Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, Many widows here in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of a hill on which the city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. And passing through the midst of them, he went his way. The beginning 
of Jesus' ministry in Nazareth. In Nazareth, he's going to go to the synagogue and he's going to open up Isaiah 61. So, we might as well go there too, right? That's where Jesus was reading from. So we flip over to Isaiah chapter 61. Let's see what Isaiah 61 has to say to us. Isaiah 61, beginning at verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Well, this is what he said, right? This is what Jesus was reading. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and then Jesus shut the book and put it down. But what didn't he read? He didn't finish the verse. He stopped and said to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and did not read and the day of vengeance of our God. That comma where Jesus stopped has lasted 2,000 years. To proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord. The acceptable time. The year, the time in which people can come unto Him. The birth in that period of time of the church, the body of Christ. All of those things fitting within that period of time, within that interval. We can flip it over to the next slide and i got a little simple timeline that lays it out for us. But we have the 69 weeks and then we have this interval, verse 26. And that interval is there until... The 70th week of Daniel begins. And at that moment, we go back on the prophetic clock. What happened at the, at the interval? How do we know that there's supposed to be an interval? Listen, folks. From the time that Messiah was cut off, after he presented himself, right? At 69 weeks, he presents himself. To the time that the, the city was destroyed was 38 years. Those 38 years are nowhere in this. It's an interval. It's a pause. From the cutoff of Messiah, we enter into this interval, and we've been in that interval until something happens. And when that something happens, the 70th week of Daniel will begin. The final seven-year period of time that Daniel speaks of next. That final period of time that we see on the prophetic calendar. So we look back at Daniel chapter 9. Then we come to verse 27. And Daniel, remember I told you Daniel is the key to understanding the book of Revelation. Daniel's going to tell us. He's going to tell us what's going to happen. What's going on? Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. He Who's he talking about? Let's back up. And the people of the prince who is to come. That's who he's talking about. The people of the prince who is to come. And he, the prince, will make a covenant with many for one week. With many is an a idiom for the, the, the Jewish people. In their writings, they would be called the many, the the glorious land, a bunch of different idioms that pointed them to the nation of Israel as opposed 
to the other nations around. So he will make a covenant with the many, the nation of Israel, for one week. A covenant for seven years. The interesting thing is, just uh, within the last couple of years, President Carter, or former President Carter, went to Israel, working, trying to work out a deal, and he presented to, as far as I know, for the first time, a peace treaty that had a time limit on it. I think it was a 10-year peace treaty that he proposed. But when the Antichrist comes on the scene, what is going to start the clock? The signing of the treaty. When that treaty comes, when that treaty, what did the Bible tell us in Revelation chapter 6? The Antichrist comes riding a white horse and carrying a what? A bow. Well, a lot of people disagree on whether he's carrying a bow as an implement of war, because he's going forward to make war, or whether he's carrying a bow like a rainbow, the promise of peace. We know one thing, he comes saying peace and bringing war. Saying peace and bringing war. Daniel says that 70, 70th week of Daniel begins with that peace treaty. When that peace treaty comes, the clock starts, and we have seven years to the return of Jesus Christ, Revelation chapter 19, in the plains of Megiddo, in the valley of Armageddon, in the, in the valley of Jezreel. So that is what winds the clock up again. The clock leading us to that point. So let's take a look. He will confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, oh, what's the middle of the week? What's the middle of seven? Three and a half. You know, that three and a half years is the most documented time in the entire Bible. 1260 days, three and a half years, time, times, and a half time. The, from the midway point of the tribulation period, we see something is going to occur, right? Something is going to happen. In the middle of the week, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. How did the sacrifice and offering begin? Well, the temple's got to be there for sacrifice and offering to begin. There's no temple today. So somewhere in all this, the temple has to be built. But at the three and a half year point, in the middle of the tribulation period, he's going to cause all sacrifice to end. Folks, that's not the first time it's happened. As we were studying, going through... Uh, Daniel chapter 8, you'll remember we talked about Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes, who has a picture, a pattern of the Antichrist. What did he do? He went into the temple and he caused sacrifice and offering to cease. How did he do it? He set up a statue, an idol of Zeus. He slaughtered a pig on the temple. He made the priest to drink pig's blood. He did all this craziness, which started the Maccabean revolt and ultimately ended with him being thrown out of the nation of Israel. He has become a picture. That's why Daniel wrote about in Daniel chapter 8. Look, remember I told you, prophecy with the Hebrew mind is pattern. It's pattern. The Greek mindset is prediction fulfillment. Prediction fulfillment. We're not dealing with a Greek mindset. I'm not saying there's not prediction fulfillment, but you can't avoid the 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 Hebrewness of the Scriptures written by the Hebrew people. 
And that's the mindset. Pattern, pattern, pattern. Look for the patterns. And so we see the pattern in Antiochus Epiphanes. So in the middle of the week, he will cause sacrifice and offering to cease. And listen to this. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Jesus said in Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by who? Daniel. And what did he call Daniel? The prophet. Jesus called him the prophet. Daniel the prophet. When you see the abomination of desolation. Daniel chapter 9. There will be on the wings an abomination which makes desolate. What's that abomination? It points back to Antiochus Epiphanes. It's the declaration of the Antichrist standing in the middle of the, of the seven year tribulation period and proclaiming himself to be God. Stopping all sacrifice, winning all worship for himself. And that is the moment, folks, until that moment, most of the eyes of Israel will be shut. And when they consider, they'll think, like everyone else, oh yeah, this is the guy, this is the Messiah, and we had the Scriptures all figured wrong. I mean, never mind. In order for them to do that, they have to ignore two-thirds of their Scripture, two-thirds of the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament lays out Several things. In fact, the Old Testament makes it so clear that the Messiah had to come before 33 A.D. After 33 A.D., you missed him. In fact, the ancient rabbis even stated as much that the Messiah must come before the destruction of the temple. According to Daniel chapter 9. But they're going to ignore all that. And there, if you ask a, a Jewish, only 10%, guys, of the nation of Israel are practicing Jews. 10%. It's not very many. You go in the nation of Israel today, most of them don't believe. Most of them are agnostics. Some of them are atheists. You know, they're doing their thing, but they don't really give a, a hoot or a nanny about the Lord or about God Almighty. And they're going to buy this guy until that day. And then they're going to know, I was wrong. Their eyes will be open and they can recognize and they'll know the truth. And for those who didn't take the mark of the beast, they'll still have time. But for those who did, the Bible is very clear. You take the mark of the beast, you made your choice. You're done. It is finished. So, they're going to recognize that the abomination of desolation. And Jesus said, when you see that happen, run. He didn't say look. He didn't say pack. He didn't say do nothing. He said run. For that last three and a half years is the worst period of human history on the face of the earth ever. Worst period ever. He tells the nation of Israel, flee, run. He said, pray what? That your that your journey would not be on what day? The Sabbath. So who's he talking to? He's talking to the Jews. He's talking to the Jews. He's talking to the Jews. Hey, pray that it's not on the Sabbath. Pray that it's, that it's not in winter. The woe to nursing mothers. All those things that he tells them and tells them to flee and to run. And then the Lord, for those who, who escape, will provide his protection. Uh, many people believe they'll find comfort in Petra. In fact, if you go to Petra today, there are those who have sent food 
and they have it stored in in Petra, someplace in Petra. They they're supposed to have this food. If you've ever been to Petra, it's a trip. Petra is. If you ever saw, uh, what was it? The help me out. That dude with the whip, Indiana Jones. You ever see Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade? He's standing in front of what's called the library at Petra, carved right out of solid sandstone, really. But it's it's a beautiful place. When you go there, you're looking at all of these things and you're marveling, and then the guide tells you, we are on the top third of the city. Two-thirds of the city is still under the sand. So they're still digging down to get to the rest of it. So it's a pretty incredible place. But <clears throat> there seems to be a clue in Isaiah that the Lord is going to, to hide his people in the rock. Petra means rock, so some people point to Petra. doesn't have to be. That's why I say prophecy looking forward, we're not so good at necessarily. Prophecy looking back, we're real good because history is easy. So we can read that part, okay? So we see that this is what the Lord is doing. This is what he's talking about. And even until the consummation which is determined has been poured out upon the desolate. Okay, so he lays out for us, Daniel tells us how that 70th week of Daniel is going to start. How that 70th week will take place. Take place with the signing of that treaty. And that's why when we look at Revelation chapter 6, we recognize Revelation chapter 6 is the beginning of the tribulation period. The first seal. Jesus opens the first seal. A white horse comes out. The declaration of the Antichrist. The Antichrist comes forward and brings his peace plan and, and war follows him. Pestilence, famine, death. All those other things that come with the other seals. So that's why I say as we look at the book of Daniel, it unlocks for us the secrets of understanding what we're reading when we read into um, the book of Revelation. We want to understand what is called in theology the study of eschatology or the study of end time things. Okay? So that's those things that are laid out by Daniel. Very clear. Today, where do we find ourselves? We're still in the interval. We're still in that part. Depending on on what camp you're in, where you come from, uh, you're looking for a variety of things right now. I happen to to lean toward the imminent return of Christ. I'm looking for Him to come at any time. I don't think He has to wait for anything. And so, uh, if if I'm right in that, great. If I'm wrong in that, well, I'll be pretty shocked. I don't know if I've ever been wrong before, but it could happen. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but it can happen. We're, the next thing that we see uh, awaiting on that prophetic event, the prophetic calendar has been complete. Uh, the only other thing is the announcing of the 70th week, which will take place at the revealing of uh, Antichrist. Again, that'll start that 70th week. And, and we see in Second uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, that concept built on. So probably what we'll do, we're going to finish out the book of Daniel and in Sunday nights, we're going to go Old Testament, New Testament. So we're going to go from Daniel probably to First and Second Thessalonians and continue to build on this concept of eschatology and, and where all these things fit together. But that will come up another day. This concludes for us Daniel chapter 9. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for an opportunity to study your word. And God, we do ask that, Father, you would reveal yourself through the scriptures to us. God, as we come to you as Bereans, Father, we desire to know and understand. We desire that your Holy Spirit would lead us. Father, we don't want to come to you with our preconceived ideas, different worldviews in mind, Father, and and look for, for reading our interpretation into anything. God, we just want you to speak the truth to us by your Spirit. Let the Word say what the Word says. We thank you for that. We thank you for the prophecies of Daniel, the very clear prophecies that we see in the coming of the Messiah, that he would be put to death for, for not his own crime, but for the crime of others. That we would enter into an interval or a time, if you will, the time of the church, the body of Christ, coming together in faith, receiving uh, through no through no specialness of our own your righteousness, simply by the faith that we put in you. That you're doing this mystery, this thing that was hinted at in the Old Testament, but not revealed until. The day of Pentecost until Paul laid out for us that mystery. God, I thank you, Father, that your word just lays out this concept of God's redemption of men. That not only does he never give up on the nation of Israel, but he constantly reaching out to fulfill his promise to them. But he does the same for us. Constantly reaching out, fulfilling his promise to us. Lord, give us eyes willing to see. Give us a heart, Father, willing to move, to do the things that you're calling us to do, to share the truth of your word with those who don't know. Father God, that we might bring others to the body, looking forward to that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we just thank you and praise you as we look forward to your perfect work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.